so I forgot to give a couple quick shout outs uh, last week. So I need to do this briefly uh, from okay. my time at Notre Dame. So first one was just, um, I think it was my last night there. Uh, I meet, I'm at dinner table and we're, and we're chatting. This, uh, young, this new guy I hadn't met yet. I guess he just got back from somewhere. Yeah, his name's Father Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I said, yeah, I'm Father Harrison. There he goes, from clerically speaking? <laughs> I said, yeah. He goes, when I was, he was in South America for, for three years. And he goes, I listen to your podcast every week. It was really helpful for me to stay connected to the North. He goes, I haven't listened as much lately just because, you know, in my internet, which I get. And it's like, you know, there are seasons when people listen to podcasts, essentially, and stuff like this. But, and we hit it off. Like, he's like, you want to go grab a beer upstairs afterwards? And we, we chatted for like three hours. And nice. a real great guy. He's, gonna, he's studying um, a political science or political theory at uh at stanford he's doing his phd in that and where we hit it off was uh he was saying oh yeah i'm looking to do like early 20th late 19th century french political history and i said and he goes i want to talk about the catholic role and i'm like have you read maurice blondel (laughs) 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 i was very he goes i know of blondel and i was was like ah i have an attentive audience to talk about blondel i'm very excited here so great guy so just if he is listening Father Michael Thomas, it was great to meet you, and I, I look forward to staying in touch with you. And then one of the things I did while I was away, uh, because I was in your time zone for a bit, yeah, is Larry Chap from GaudiumAtSpest22.com. We kept on talking. We used to have a chat, like no, no, no videos, no recording, anything, just just hang out, right? And so we had a we had a a, a Zoom chat with each with him and his wife Carrie, who does listen to the podcast. In fact, Larry has come to know us because of his wife because she emailed us one day and I got very excited because I read Larry's books when I was in seminary. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so just so it was great to chat with them too. So those are my quick shout outs. But I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Because as, as you know, we're, we're doing, this is one of our, little peek behind the curtain is one of our back-to-back recording ones. Yep, so yeah. um, I had just gotten back from retreat. It was very good and it was at Copper Ridge and you saw some of the photos I sent. Yeah, they were beautiful. Yeah. <sighs> It's just south of Squamish, so you're in the mountains, but with the inlet going in, and it's, mm-hmm. it's stunning. It's gorgeous. Uh, it's run and owned by by Opus Dei, and so mm-hmm. I've now become an assassin monk. Um, That's exciting. That's why you're getting in shape and losing weight. You got some assassinations to but do. I got to stay out of the sun. I got to also become albino. Yes, know? yes. Uh, so, okay, got um, it. But anyway, so it was great, and the space was great, because we don't have a retreat center in our diocese. Yeah. We're just too small, yeah. and we were going to these different, like, resort-esque places like nothing super fancy but just a place that could hold 20 guys or whatever and i never liked them because they weren't like our chapel was makeshift and often in a little room that didn't feel chapel yeah. and there was a gorgeous gorgeous word carving behind the tabernacle in this this place it was great anyways but oh i you know i don't know what your diocesan priest retreats are like mm-hmm. or if you have to go on them like we have to this is if you're if you're around you have to go on it the bishop really wants it. It's a good thing. And ours is structured in such a way that, well, first, I'm actually a big believer, like five-day retreats, because we were canonically required to have a five-day retreat, right? Yeah. It needs to actually be five days. No, no more of this starting on Monday night, end day Friday morning yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, it's not I want to start Monday morning, or at least Monday afternoon, and end at the earliest Friday afternoon. Like, I, I can accept that, because if you have to travel and everything, I can accept that. But, like, no more, like, we start on Monday night, and we end on Friday. I'm bringing it up on pre council, so I'm like, there's nothing to yeah, hide. I should. It's not long enough. It's not long enough. But also, and this is from a few religious sister friends who, when I told them about the retreat, they're like... You guys are talking. There's social time. Like this is a retreat. <laughs> this should be silent. Yeah, she goes, and they're like, diocesan priests need to learn to pray. And I'm like, yes, thank you, sister. Thank you. Yes, yes, amen, amen to all of this. And that's yeah. what I wanted. And even the morning silent times, it's never really silent because there's always the talky guy who has to talk and has to find a way to to break the rules, and he doesn't care about the people who want silence. I actually got frustrated with said guy on the retreat i said you might not want silence but i do and it's in the schedule so please be quiet <laughs> and this guy's like set in his 70s so i was yeah. just like and he and he, he he was good but i i was actually really good i was like i need silence so i i didn't go to the social times because i want silence i want and and the space was actually quite good for that those who wanted that can have that and those who wanted the silence could actually make that for themselves but i'm just kind of curious of your opinion yeah on that on priests' annual retreats and these 
do you have social elements to it and how do you feel about it? Yeah. So um, the diocese will offer retreats for guys. So they're optional and they'll be at our seminary. Um, and, uh, but I've never gone to one. I've always scheduled, I've either scheduled my own retreat or didn't schedule a retreat and was a bad priest that happened a couple of years. Um, but I do have a retreat scheduled, uh, this week. Actually, I'll be hanging out uh, a little bit with, uh, guest producer Taylor Schroll down in, uh, Texas. We're going to nice. a, a ranch and it, it sounds really good. Um, mm-hmm. and it might not be as silent as normally I would like it to be, but it's going to be cool. Um, so the problem with priest retreats is that we get real excited about seeing each other and actually not having any work to do. And there's this desire to like talk and, and chat. And I um, was it last summer I was in Florida with a bunch of priests and we did a good job of keeping silence. Um, we actually you know, really did a good job of that. But it was frustrating because I like all these guys. And I never get to see them. So right. just like that was kind of distracting for me. Um, right. But we all made a commitment to keep silence, and we did so, and it was good. So that's that's a tough thing. Um, so I think in general, it's better for a priest to schedule his own retreat, just be retreat qua retreat. Now, every mm-hmm. three years, we have a uh, clergy convocation. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's more time for socialization. There are some talks, workshops, that kind of thing. We're going down to Ogle Bay, actually, this year. Um, and so that's a, a great outlet just to meet with guys, talk with guys, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think I think it's tough because a lot of guys, um, because we're so busy and we don't see each other very often, and a lot of times when we do, we're working, that it's tough. It's just tough to sacrifice that when people are so close. So I get that. Um, but yeah. overall, in general, I think a retreat should at the very least have silence, if not be almost completely silent. Um, yeah. Do you, is that why you don't go on the diocesan priest retreats? I don't go on the diocesan priest <laughs> am I, retreats. Am I asking two several, personal questions? For several reasons. One, because if I did a retreat back in my college seminary, I would have PTSD the entire time and not be able to pray. Um, two, because, uh, you know, as a seminarian, um, I sometimes help run them and they just don't seem super conducive to prayer. Um, mm-hmm. Just doesn't seem like my jam. So it's more, it's more of an environment thing. Yes. Okay. It's more of an environment thing. So this is actually an interesting thing. He said, oh, yeah, you're not working. I'm like, man, like, because I, I was very, I turned my phone on to airplane mode the whole week. Nice. I would turn it on in the morning for five minutes just so I could do my my German lessons yeah. in the morning quickly, and that was it. <laughs> um, but guys, like, oh, did you get that email from, about this or this priest is available and blah, blah, blah? I'm like, nope. Yeah. Like, why not? I'm like, well, I'm not working. Like, and that was the thing. I was like, guys are still working. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, guys, like stop this busyness like like this is not healthy this is not good and and uh but yeah i think that like we so we have like a usually a yearly study days and that's my thing I'm like yeah, well that's the time to get together mm-hmm. right that's the time where we can hang out and so like I, i'll go to every social time with that you know sure. that's great that that is because it's not a silent time it's not a time of prayer it's a, and it's not really meant to be it's kind of a work time but it's not really meant it's right, a right, right. different kind of work um but the retreat in my opinion it's like it's to reset, to recenter yourself on the Lord, to pray for your parish, to do all these, to, to really get the spiritual life in order and to call to conversion so that you can go back as a healthier, more spiritually alive priest. And so like, I, I, I struggle with the, the noise of, of, and, and it, cause like, and this may be a different question for a different day. Cause in diocesan priesthood and maybe other, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but I know at least there's a bit of a bro culture. Yeah. Like, oh, like I call it like priest bro culture yeah. where you have to like, you sit around, you have a beer, you're talking shop and you talk about rumors and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't actually care for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I don't even want to have those conversations. I don't know. Anyway, so that, that was just like, I was just kind of curious. It was a very fruitful. It was actually the best diocesan priest retreat I've had because it was the first time we actually had to have, got to have it at a retreat yeah. center. And, and Archbishop Miller's talks were very, very simple but very life-giving in calling back to the essentials of being a priest. And uh, and he brought a lot of quotes. Actually, the beautiful things, he quoted a lot of Benedict and he quoted a lot of Francis. Okay, cool. Uh, and he's made me appreciate Francis's homilies and talks to priests a lot more. He mm-hmm. goes for the heart very easily and quickly. He's got this down-to-earthiness in his preaching that I, I am appreciating more and more. I will say Pope Francis's uh preaching in his homilies, whenever I've heard sound bites or clips of it, a lot of his stuff is really good on that level. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. Uh, so speaking of things clerical, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. As I mentioned, we have uh, a guest producer, Taylor Schroll. Check out all of his stuff, Forte Catholic. He's great. Um, and uh, it's one, it's very cool that we have a good friend who is super professional and can help us out when uh, producer Nick is away in Appalachia. Are you Nick isn't professional? Oh, no, no, no. As someone who is, well, producer Nick is professional. Actually, you are. He is, but yeah. also he's my brother, and this whole podcast started as a joke, and it's been going on for three years. There's just a different thing. Four years. Four years now, yeah. And we're hiring Taylor Schroll to do this, so it's a little bit different vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That being said, I wouldn't trade producer Nick for anyone in the world. Uh, if without him, we would not have a podcast. Okay. So this all that nice. aside, uh, I am occasionally a co-host on uh, Taylor Schroll's Forte Catholic, and a few weeks ago. I was talking about uh, my Marian devotion and this desire I have to get a tattoo on the inside of my forearm. And one of Taylor's big uh, objections was that I will one day be old and fat. Now, that being said, I know that technically speaking, one day I'll be old. But you know what? I'm going to push back. I'm not going to be fat. I'm just not. As a matter of fact, I've recently lost weight. And you know why I know? Because you didn't eat. Because I didn't eat for like two weeks. <laughs> I know you. Exactly. I had like one meal a day for like two weeks. It was not good. I had no energy. I lost like five pounds. Anyways. So. Anyways. Part of my, my health journey. So but you're it, still going to be old. I'll be old. And I don't care about wrinkly. being old. That's fine. Being It'll old be and wrinkly. wrinkly. I think being old and wrinkly with tattoos is actually a great look. I think it's okay. cool. But anyway. <laughs> modernist priest. Uh, modernist? I would. Uh, Modernism. No, I'm kidding. Tattoos aren't I'm modernism. Kidding. No, no. Although maybe the way they're used as self-expression nowadays. Yes. I think they are. But, yes. But a tattoo is, no, it's, it's a, it goes back for exactly. centuries and centuries okay, and okay. centuries. I know, I know. But the point is, um, uh, I have pretty much since college seminary, I've worked out more or less consistently. Not as consistently as I want to, but it's never been a habit that I've completely dropped. But last few weeks, uh, last like month or so, when eating only one meal a day, having no energy, not taking care of myself, bad. So I've gotten back into it and um, uh, started going back to the gym. And it's just, it is the most depressing thing after missing a couple of weeks and going back to the gym. And just, you lose all of your strength and it's just lame. And then like, so I did squats and whatever. And like my legs being super sore for like an entire week instead of like a day is just, just miserable. It's miserable. But that being said, the one thing I'm pretty confident in, and this is one thing that's, I have a theory that if you did college sports or if you did uh, sports growing up, you're less likely to work out consistently later on in your life because that's tied to doing all the not fun stuff early on in your life. So you are you have these memories of having to wake up early, do all this stuff, do all the work so you could have the fun of actually playing the sport. I didn't have that. Um, I, I did you're, martial you're arts, but there was no lifting involved. Actually, I probably should have because I was a really skinny kid. I could have kicked people harder. Um, but this was a habit that I developed in college seminary. So my knees aren't broken yet because of sports or my back or anything. So I don't have any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's something that I genuinely enjoy and still miss when I don't do. Mm-hmm. So I think my tattoos are going to look awesome until I die. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Thank you for agreeing with me. Sure. Also, like, as far as flabbiness, the inside of your forearm, I don't feel like that's the first thing to go. I just, I could never do a tattoo, man. I, I mean, I don't care. Um, sorry, that sounded really mean. Um, I don't mind people, like, not liking yeah. tattoos for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really want this Marian reminder on the inside of my forearm. I really want it. I'm going to have, it's going to happen. Now, sadly... Hopefully, producer Riley is looking into this because producer Riley has several Marian tattoos mm-hmm. uh, and they all look super cool. She's a cool lady. And I was like, mm-hmm. hey, you need to help me come up with a, de- a design idea and a really professional place where this can happen because I don't want to like I'm willing to spend, spend the money to get it done right. Right. And you know what? How much work she's done on this? How much? Zero. 
Yeah, because she has more important things. What? What? Selling houses, providing for her family, and taking care of her Indiana. baby? Yeah. How many people have a priest brother-in-law? This is a privilege that she has. And I don't ask for anything. This is the one thing I've ever asked her to do. Really? You don't ask her for anything, even though you stay at their house all the time? I, this is. Are you lying? One of the few things I ask of my sister-in-law. <laughs> Listen, I know how this works. If you want something done, you have to shame people publicly. And this is what I'm doing. I'm shaming my sister-in-law publicly. Yeah, but you're, presu- you're presuming she's actually going to listen to the episode. Mm, I don't know. She normally listens when Nick is editing it. So I don't know if she listens to this one. Uh, interesting. But she's, on, she's, she's a public person on Twitter. And so I'm pretty sure people will lovingly remind her that she needs to help Father Anthony get a cool tattoo. Are you thinking like doing, what about like um, John Paul II's coat of arms? No, I'm thinking I'm going to do kind of like the, um, the M with like the stars around it. And gotcha. then I may or may not add text, adiasum permarium, something like that. Something with a lot of straight lines. Uh, but we'll see. And you'll need to talk to Father Alec to ensure that the Latin is accurate. Absolutely. Because you don't want to be one of those people who puts Chinese characters. It means peace, but it actually doesn't. Right, right, right. Also, <laughs> Father Alec, um, I feel like he could design a cool tattoo. He does all this heraldry stuff. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care about my well-being as far as like tattoos and stuff. He would just do no, it. No, in fact, he might cool. rejoice in the suffering that's going to happen. Exactly. With the so maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll call up our good friend, Father Alec. Well, there you go. That's my update. You know, it raises questions for me, too. What you do to the body with a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, now, does that tattoo sacramentally belong to Jesus? These and other questions are the kind of questions we ask at theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Oh my goodness, will will we have tattoos in our glorified body, or will they go away? Depends. I mean, yeah, I think it depends that. on the tattoo yeah. and the reasoning behind it. Yes. Like if you have a tattoo of like Kirby on your shoulder, I don't think that's going to be a part of your glorified body. <laughs> 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 but who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's listen. Hi, fathers. This is Anne from Iowa. Not my real name or my real state of residence. Um, I was just wondering, you had an episode recently where you talked about how Jesus didn't suffer from um, concupiscence like the rest of us do. Um, And it got me thinking today during the fourth glorious mystery, did Mary experience concupiscence too? Or was that, is that an effect of original sin that she did not have to uh, deal with because she was conceived without sin? Uh, Curious to hear your answer. If you, get to this and uh, love the show. God bless. Thanks. Bye. If you're going to choose a fake state, why would you choose Iowa? Am I going to alienate everyone from Iowa now? Uh, why would you choose Iowa? I think I think this segment... I know nothing about to, Iowa, by the way. We're so. trying to alienate pretty much all of our listeners who are so Absolutely. brave to a- actually send us questions. <laughs> 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 so first things first, we got to get yes. out of the way. And from Iowa, if that is real name. Uh, that it's concupiscence. Concupiscence is how the yes, pronunciation. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, that being said, the way she said it, the Google uh, transcriber spelled it correctly, so the Google understood what she was saying. So that's good. That's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. I did not pay attention to that. I actually want to look up one quick thing. Um, concupiscence. Okay. Well, con always means with in Latin, right? Mm-hmm. And then the sense part is a bit of a. I was wondering if that was having to do with knowledge or anything. It actually has to do with desire. Cupere means to desire, right? So mm-hmm. it's to desire with our fallenness, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, to desire what doesn't lead us to God. So simply put, I mean, really, Mary did not suffer from concupiscence mm-hmm. because she did not have the effect of original uh, sin. Now, um, just, so just as Jesus in this regard, immaculate yeah. conception means no stain of any sort because if she had it it would have 
changed her desire and she would not have been able to say fully yes to the incarnation in a truly human and free way. Yeah. Uh, so this is why she has to be not only immaculately conceived without sin, but also be at, not have the effects of sin in her. Now, um, anything to add to that? No, that's right so far. I've got ideas, okay. but go, keep going. Okay. Now, people then struggle with this because mm-hmm. they say, well, but they didn't desire sin like we do, so how are they human like us? And actually, I would say it's the other way around. Yes. Uh, uh, actually, we're not fully human yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. We're not human yet, in other words. Like, uh, they are human. They are the realness of humanity. We are not uh, because of sin. Sin is not is non-existent, and when we give into it, we're giving into uh, into nothingness in a negative fashion to the point of not wanting to be mm-hmm. right. That's that's the annihilation of sin. So uh, and so because of their lack of desire for sin, living but they lived in a sinful world in a yes. fallen world. So the it, it was like it's almost like a a, a a sensory overload. Actually, um, someone was sharing with us the other day. It's like you know, for us who are fallen creatures uh, through time and history, sin is like, and the effects of original sin is like a callousness, this thickening of the skin to the point that we don't actually experience what it means, its full consequences and everything. Mm -hmm. But for Jesus and Mary, they don't have that callousness. And so they see it for what it really is. And it should like, it actually like horrifies them. It's why like Mary's, like Jesus is entering into sin and Mary's sharing in his suffering on the cross actually means that in the, kind of inverse of it all, actually know sin better than we do. Yeah. Because they're more human, they know the reality of sin better. It's like it's like a couple who love each other. They know each other well, and thus they can also see each other's weaknesses and sinfulness more clearly because they're so close to each other. Mm-hmm. Mary and Jesus's closeness to our humanity, being really human, are, because they love us so much and their closeness to us in it all, actually know it better than we do. Right. That's my thoughts. Yeah, and also uh, Mary as a new Eve. Uh, we remember, remember that um, Adam and Eve didn't have concupiscence either, and they still chose Correct. sin, right? Right. So Mary chooses God instead of sin. Also, being surrounded by sin, being in a sinful world, uh, sin is present to her always, and she remains faithful her entire life to Jesus, to God mm-hmm. through that. Mm-hmm. So in a certain way, she experiences the pains of sin. I'm, I don't mean this. She experiences pain in sin while without sinning, right? Because right. she's ever present to that dark reality. Um, also suffers from the sins of others, uh, multiple ways, those who hurt her and basically having her own children hurt themselves. Uh, so she experiences more deeply that pain. Uh, so it's not a get out of jail free card as far as suffering goes. Mary actually suffered more than any of us, um, but she didn't have the tendency towards sin that we do. That's right. So yeah, but she still had the. But this is the thing, and this is where people are like, well, then yeah. she was without since she had no freedom like we do. I'm like, actually, no. Again, actually, she's more free than we are. Yes, and thus actually has the not only the greater opportunity to choose God, mm-hmm. but also the greater opportunity to reject Him. Yeah, and her whole being in life what makes her. Uh, imitable and and a real gift to the church, and same with Jesus, is that um, that grace that they live is now possible for us. We actually can live that same freedom, mm-hmm. um, but it's a constant yes. This is the whole thing. Yeah. Because like, so the agony in garden, it's not like concupiscence overtaking Jesus. No. It's the facing of the evil of sin and him still saying yes. Mm-hmm in his humanity and lifting up the fallen humanity that wants to run away from death and sin and its consequences and actually saying, no, I want to face it head on and enter into it so that we can overcome it. And so uh, it's a constant. Yes. That's, that's where freedom lies. It's a constant yes to God. Mm -hmm. And it's not this, Oh, they don't suffer the the temptation to one thing or another. And like, actually, no, they, they see the reality of the church more easily. Like this is the temptation in the desert too, all this stuff. So um, they're more free because they can actually say no to God uh, more radically than we can. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Good question. There you go. Cool. We're just going to do one today because I have to get going in 25 minutes. So uh, let's head on to presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral 
exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. <laughs> yes, yes, quite. Yes, quite. quite. All right, so as I was saying at the beginning, um, just on retreat and... Uh, for my non-spiritual kind of fun reading, but it always ends up being some form of spiritual reading anyways, I uh, finally started reading this bad boy. Ugh. What is this? Joseph Ratzinger, Dogma and Preaching. Ooh. So, um, as always, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of underlining going on in that book. Mm. And I kind of avoided it. I was like, oh, this is not going to have anything to do with my thesis. And actually, there's a lot in there. I keep on seeing <laughs> history ontology over and over again. But... It got me thinking. It made me scripture pilled. I become scripture pilled. <laughs> yes, I become scripture pilled. Um, he has helped me see, and I don't know if you ever encounter this with a re- someone you read because, like, I've had the same thing with Balthazar when I read Balthazar too. Is like scripture flows off of them, like the, their intimacy and their knowledge with it, that they can just drop it out of nowhere. Or like with Ratzinger, he doesn't so much like just cite things from all over the place. But he actually rather investigates the reality of the passage and to let the real substance that is hidden underneath the text to really shine forth. So mm. for him, um, and I, and that creates a desire in you to want to know scripture the same way. You're like, yeah, that that's, wow, I want that, right? So this reading the book has got me scripture pilled. And so it, it got me thinking about, about actually this past weekend, or I guess two weekends ago now when this is dropping, uh, of, of Trinity Sunday. Hmm. Because I got an email from, uh, I guess some priest on the retreat got COVID. <laughs> and oh, no. Like, and like, test yourselves. And I've been testing. I'm fine. This is mm-hmm. great. And one of the priests said, well, yeah, maybe this will give you an out from having to preach on Trinity Sunday. And as often the case is, something bugs me. Yes. And so I start thinking, why does this bug me? Mm-hmm. What's, what's, what's the problem with this statement as well-intentioned as it might be? And I got thinking about it. I'm like, because this is something Ratzinger has helped me see. How do we approach? How do most priests approach Trinity Sunday? I have to explain the Trinity to you, <laughs> right? We approach it from the realm of dogma, mm-hmm. and so we think we have to explain the dogma, and that's all that matters as the Christian. Mm-hmm. And so we ignore the narrative of Scripture or the experience of the Church in her tradition, and we just go straight to the systematic dogmatic statement. And if that is the way we have to preach, yes, I would want to avoid Trinity Sunday myself. Sure. Because that is, and, and it's funny because like I fall into that. Like beforehand, like I thought, I always thought, yes, I have to explain this. I, I started moving away from this a couple of years ago where I was like, no, I need to now, you know, do a bit of a mystagogy of how the Trinity is encountered in mm-hmm. the liturgy. Um, and now it's moved me to really, so this is Ratzinger's point. He says, dogma does not exist for its own sake. Hmm but rather is the interpretive hermeneutic or the interpretive key by which we read scripture. So what he's doing is he's giving a priority over of the event over its explanation, which ah. is good Christian um, theology. This is very, this is very day verum actually mm-hmm. um, event has a logical and experiential priority over explanation, um, discussion, uh, qualification, distinction, etc. There's a primacy to event, right? And this is this is actually more fundamentally. This is how we know as human beings the medieval distinction between intellectus and ratio. Actually, what's primary, what makes you human, is not your ratio. Apes have ratio. They have this ability to do simple math and everything. They can quantify and qualify. Ratio is breaking things down to its pieces. Um, Intellectus is receiving the whole as it is without having to break it down. Mm -hmm. That's actually how we know things. So it's again, it's giving this priority to event, uh, this priority to the happening. And when I was reading, because now he's, because I've become scripture pill, I'm trying to read a page from the New Testament in my morning prayer every day right now. And so I'm reading the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm on like chapters three and four. And how is Peter preaching? Mm-hmm. He's not saying, here is the logic of the cross and yeah. the resurrection. This is what it means in dogmatic terms. He is proclaiming the event that now helps you understand everything about the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. 
So the scripture is interpreted through the event. This whole notion that event has priority is 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 vital to preaching. And so when we so for example, when I approached um Trinity Sunday, I went about it in a new way this weekend. Okay. Like preaching first, I was I actually went I was like my what was my goal? I said, Well, I want to talk about how what truly unifies. Mm. Well, how what do we often seek to unify? So ideology, camps, um, even theological camps often in the church or ideological camps, like all these different, or even like I would say like um, worldviews that are unconscious where, oh, just live and let live. That's actually, that is actually trying to belong to a camp mm-hmm. uh, of a particular worldview. And I, so I broke it down and I kind of showed how actually this all crumbles and doesn't actually truly unify, but we desire it because we want to feel safe and saved. And there, and, we only recognize that we're only truly safe and saved in history when we truly belong. So that it's ironic in our rampant individualism, we still recognize this need to belong. It's a fundamental human desire. And then showing how like the, tr- how the scriptures on Sunday is Jesus speaking to this today. And thus the true unifier is God who has experienced as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that this is the God who is revealing himself to us today in the church, who's, who, who acts in history in Jesus and who is acting and truly drawing us constantly through Jesus's path of the cross to the father by the power of the Holy spirit. I did no explaining of the Trinity. Yeah. Cause I didn't need to. Cause like the most important thing, the prior, what preaching ought to bring us to is not a right understanding of doctrine. That's catechesis. Mm-hmm. It needs to bring us to an encounter with the event. And so scripture plays a role in this. So I have a, I, something else there, but I've talked a lot here. Any yeah, yeah, thoughts yeah. or no, anything is, so far? This is all good stuff. So uh, first of all, do you know how many paragraphs in the catechism are devoted to the central mini- uh, mystery of our faith being the Trinity? How many? Four. Interesting. And it I basically says, <laughs> it's, it's basically like talks about how, you know, uh, three persons, one God. Blah, 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 blah. Like, it's, it's very simple. And uh, I, I remember, and I'll distinctly remember this for forever. I think it was during our Latin class. So we had an incredibly intelligent, um, chain-smoking uh, priest who was my spiritual director and taught Latin and was fueled by pure anger and was one of the smartest and also weirdly one of the holier p- priests that I've ever known. Fascinating character. Uh, he had a passion for Latin, but he knew that we did not as... <laughs> seminarians and so we kind of played this game and he was utterly aware of it and it was uh can we get him off topic onto one of his pet peeves and then we wouldn't have to learn latin <laughs> and sometimes it's ticked them off because we weren't if we did a good job of it he didn't mind if if our attempts were lazy he would just give us more homework it was a very high risk high stake game it was very playful it was it was it was anyway i, I remember one class i don't know how we got it but he just like stopped and look at us and said, all of you will preach heresy on Trinity Sunday. Which I thought was incredibly unfair because I didn't want to do that thing. It was just like this warning, not even a warning, just like doomed us to preach it. But exactly for that reasons that you you spoke. So the Trinity is, it'd be fair to say it's the biggest mystery that we have. Because it's really. Yeah, it's, it's God's, it's who God is. It's who God is in himself. And I could speak accurately about a lot of things, about this can of bubbly water. Um, And I can use words that correspond to the truth of the bubbly water. For God, we simply cannot do that because God is so transcendent, right? But at the same- He's not so transcendent that we can't speak about him. Exactly. But he also has revealed himself to us. And so- it's kind of pointless to try to speak about God in himself. And we can only do very limited things about that. Um, and we're better at saying what God isn't in himself. But the fact that God has revealed himself to us means there are things that we can talk about and kind of what you're getting at. Um, so for Holy Trinity uh, Sunday, what I did was I talked about the Trinitarian nature of the Mass and how we're mm-hmm. caught up in Christ's worship of the Father. And with the Holy Spirit and all that jazz. And that's all good. Um, and there was no heresy because I wasn't trying to do the impossible. And I think one of the reasons why Trinity Sunday trips us up, I think it's part of God's plan. Uh, it's the same sort of thing when Moses asks, you know, uh, what's your name? And he says, I am. 
God doesn't like it when we try to control him. Even if you yeah. try to control him in understanding of our minds, he doesn't right. allow us to do that. Right. That's kind of part of the point. But he does want us to know about his saving action towards us. So that's the part you preach about. Exactly. And so, and it was very, so reading Ratzinger on this was very helpful to help understand why scripture is just actually so important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, actually, in my, in my PhD program, I have a, one of my classmates is looking at the lectionary that emerged out of Vatican II because mm-hmm. uh, he's trying to address the question of everyone. It's like, why is there all these readings and everything? And I'm like, and he's trying to say, actually, there's actually very sound reasoning to this. And actually there is a place in the tradition for this, blah, blah, blah. But um, he's trying to say like scripture has an essential role in the life of the church um, because like, it, so, because interestingly scripture, they didn't like, we use the word revelation now. That was not the Christian understanding for up until Trent, like it, it started to merge before that, but it yeah. was like high middle ages. They didn't really use the word revelation <laughs> as a field of theology. And the word revelation is something Rasmus brings out in his theology of history in St. Bonaventure is revelation could be qualified as scripture with the fathers, mm-hmm. with their, with their interpretation and exegesis, yeah. scripture and tradition. Yeah. Right? This is, this is the heart of it. And it, but they didn't have this word. It was just, well, it's just scripture and, and how the saints have interpreted the scriptures and understood them. Um, so it's interesting. Like he's helped me see like actually scripture is vital to the Catholic life. Mm-hmm. It is a pr- very primary mode by which God continues to work. Um, but then preaching has to be event focused. Mm-hmm. And so what do I mean by this? So this is, this is the key thing in it all. And this is why I think he got me kind of scripture pilled because my pithy summation of everything Ratzinger is saying around Scripture is that Scripture is a sacrament. Mm. If we allow ourselves to not be restricted to the seven instituted sacraments, okay? He's not trying to create a new sacrament or anything, right, but it's right. just, again, what does sacrament mean? What does it do? It makes present an event. Right? For, so I, I always had this... Yeah. yeah. For more yeah. information on this, check out Father Harrison's book, Mysterion. And Catholics have not been tr- so because like I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but like I remember once I was talking to someone a few years ago, and they said, "Oh, you know, well, when I go to mass, I want to hear like the historical context. I want to understand all the stuff that's going on around it and everything." And I wanted to throw up when I heard that. <laughs> not saying it doesn't have a place. Like even Ratzinger does this. Like he uses yeah. that to a qualified degree because you need to understand the literal sense. Yes. But they're like, again, that's we're getting to didactic preaching. Rather, preaching in the context of liturgy is to help the Catholic encounter Christ speaking to the church today through his scriptures. The scriptures, because the word of God is alive, this is like, uh, is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, mm-hmm. uh, piercing marrow and bone, soul and spirit, uh, as, as it Galatians or Hebrews, one of those two. I think Hebrews. it's Galatians. Hebrews? Yeah. Anyway, it's one of those two. Whatever. One of the books. You know, I'm still Catholic. Man. It's, it's <laughs> I'm, one of those we're books. We're both really yeah. scripture pills. <laughs> or, actually, no. I think it's Thessalonians. Uh, you know what? Somebody will tell us that anyway, we're wrong. Someone or right. will tell us. Yes. Yes. Anyways, that word of God is Jesus Christ. He is the event. Right? It's uh, this is Ratzinger's famous thing as Benedict and Deus Caritas being Christian is not an ethnical choice but a, or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event. A person which gives life a new horizon. Like Jesus is present. Jesus is at work today. And that the past, this his history of 2,000 years ago is mysteriously universalized and made present by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us to the Father. This is the Trinitarian thrust of the scriptures. When Peter is preaching, he is using the event to interpret the scriptures. And so the event of Jesus, the event of his life, death, and resurrection made now universal through the Holy Spirit to lead us to the Father, has to be the source, summit, and goal of all preaching so as to interpret the event and experience of people today. It needs to teach, it needs to, so as preachers, we are required. Actually, Ratzinger goes so far as to say, we need to experience man's condition today. We need to have like a co-naturality with what they go through. There needs to be this empathy to man's condition to know the questions on their heart Mm -hmm. and thereby to allow the event to interpret it. And that main means is always through the scriptures. Mm -hmm. The scriptures are 
And so they're never dead. They're never, it's not this historical, let's see what happened 2,000 years ago. In fact, one of the things I did in my homily was, because uh, in John's gospel, it's like the uh, the spirit will declare, will reveal. He will bring what is mine to you, which is the father. Like, is this, oh, it's just like, oh, so good. Um, but I said, that was a future tense because at the moment, Christ still had not been raised, Yeah. right? This is This is the historical fact. This is the literal sense. But what does it say in Romans? And hope does not disappoint because uh, the Holy Spirit is, is not has, not w- will be, is poured out on us. There is now this, what was promised is now present through the church, whereby Christ now makes universal what he did in the past for us today to interpret, to help us uh, encounter him today. And so it's this, it's, and that leads us to a real future, which is the hope thing that doesn't disappoint. It's not a future of, a, a nice life of you know living comfortably of living a bourgeois life it is the future of seeing the face of the father and that yeah. this is what preaching is meant to do and be and it means we need to revitalize a kind of sacramental approach to scripture both within the context of the liturgy and in our experience which means bringing about the four senses as well yeah and i think actually benedict is the example our par excellence of taking modern things around scripture and its study, but also using that as a means, as a jumping off point towards a spiritual sense and an interpret because you use interpret preaching should be interpreting an event, the event of the people in front of you and drawing it into the event of Jesus's life, death and resurrection, which is now present. Sorry. No, I got, no, it's like, I, got, it's I, I really got kind of preachy there. You did. You did. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I'm going to use some phrases imprecisely. Yep. Um, this is something I've, I've felt intuitively for a long time, that there's a difference between preaching and giving a homily. Um, now, one can write a homily and preach. These are things that can happen. But it's it's so often interpreted as this thing that I construct for your approval or disapproval. Entertainment. Either entertainment or not even necessarily entertainment, um, though sometimes that. It could be for um, validation of my feelings. It could be um, you are talking about the things that I want you to talk about instead of this action of the Holy Spirit that is working through the priest and the people at the same time. I Early on, when I first arrived in this parish, I guess I was being kind of gutsy. Um, and basically said, it's not your place to say this was a good or bad homily. Hmm. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, nor is it my place to decide whether or not it's good or bad homily. Um, and I mean it in this sense, that when a homily is done prayerfully um, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, it is something that the Spirit will then reveal to your heart, either to be experience Christ or some sort of conversion. And that sort of thing can't be a thing that's evaluated when it's all done well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And for a while, people were like, I don't want to tell you it was a good homily, but it was was a good homily. It's like, no, okay, you got to understand where I'm coming from. Like, yes, there's there's that human element um, where we can either get in the way or cooperate. And if you want to tell your priest that his preparation and cooperation of the spirit was beneficial to you a very simple way to do that was that was a good homily like I, don't get crazy with the language but to understand it as this work of the spirit instead of a construction that we do um because then you get too much into the formulaic thing like it has to be three points or you have to start with a story or you have to use so many jokes or you have to do this it becomes something utterly artificial and detached from the liturgy and detached from the spirit and detached from scripture itself Instead of yes, a work of the spirit, yes. And you, the thing about that, what, what you're talking about, so it's about forming in Catholics a fundamental attitude that I keep on harping on when we go to liturgy is yeah. receptivity, mm-hmm. which means allowing the event to manifest itself to your heart. Um, and so you might not even speak like the same kind of theological language as your the priest who's preaching or something like i know i i'm very ratzingarian in my preaching yeah which means i go a little above 
the brow. Like I'm, I'm a little highbrow in my preaching, not like in technical language, but I'm trying to get to deep things always. That's because sure. I mean, that's who I am. And I know that that's not going to always speak to the blue collar person necessarily all the time. I try to do stuff for that too, but it's just like, this is just who I am. So that, but that receptivity attitude means that what you do when you're receptive, you receive and you let it sit. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't judge. It's not judging, it's discerning. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's listening. It's this letting the Holy Spirit ruminate and mold in the heart of a word or a sentence. Like, like just, and this is the thing, like this morning when I was praying with Acts, um, there was a little phrase. It was uh, for Acts 14, 13, I think, or 4, 13, I should say, 4, 13. Uh, Peter has been, they just healed that beggar at the portico. Yeah. And they're brought in before the authorities. And it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The authorities had recognized us in Peter and John. And that just struck me. And so mm. I sat with it with a bit and then I reflected on it. And what does that mean? Like there's, there is the real sense. Why, how do they recognize him? That they, these are the guys who are present at his trial and his execution and that ran away from him and were with him in his ministry. And now they are, there's something different about them. Mm-hmm. And that recognition comes from that encounter with the person of Jesus. But that then for the Christian, it's this being recognized by going along Christ's path in the cross, whereby then we... Are rec- we too are recognized of having been with him. We become a sacrament of his presence. Um, so I think that that is what we, how we ought to approach it, that there is this deeper spiritual sense. So this, I'm going to say a spicy comment that I know is probably going to get me in some trouble. You ready I, for it? I love it. Because the question becomes, what do we do to form this? And I think, again, a lot of it has to do just experientially. It's not this didactic thing that we do over and over and over again has to be experiential. And I think it's about forming this in smaller contexts with people. But it means stopping to do, we have to stop doing scripture studies. Oh, okay. What hap- what, why, why do you think this is the case? What do you think happens at scripture studies? What, 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 how do we approach scripture at a scripture study usually? Oh my goodness. Um, wow, I'm, so, I'm still reeling from that take. I'm I'm reeling from it. Not disagreeing or agreeing, but yeah, it, it was that was a spicy one. That's one for it's the ages. Spicy, it's a spicy one. It's a spicy one. I'm okay. gonna I'm going to. So uh, a lot. Of, I think most of the time, scripture studies are an effort to understand the literal sense of scripture. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's fine. And it's not even a bad like. So I I should qualify this a little. It's not even a bad thing to do exclusively. Yeah. But the form of. So this is the thing, but a lot of Catholic scripture studies still approach scripture in a Protestant mindset. Mm. And by this, I mean that it sees the scriptures as a historical document to be analyzed to see how God did work without the spiritual sense, without leading, or at least opening to the possibility of the, the spiritual sense of things. So like in my mind, if you were to do a scripture study, you would do some literal sense stuff. But then lead people to an encounter and experience whereby God is now speaking through like Alexio Divina. Like Alexio Divina, I think, is actually one of the primary modes yes. to naturally, organically, and in a non-didactic um, fashion to form people into um, looking for a spiritual sense. Yeah, uh, I think that is one of the. F- I actually think it it both comes out of the spiritual sense because like this is the thing why like what's why do we why is spiritual sense important because peter again in when he's preaching about jesus and he's interpreting the old testament he's saying an event something spiritual now makes this this phrase in in a psalm seen in a completely different light and that that spirit that same spirit is active today in all of scripture because all of scripture is meant to do one thing is to point and make present christ mm-hmm. And so that's who we need to be looking for. That's the spiritual experience we need to be encountering in, in, in reading scripture. So you, if you're so in my mind, like I see this idea of scripture in these small group settings where we're wanting coming to have an intimacy with it. Yes, it can have some things surrounding getting to know the literal sense, but it has to then be at least pointing towards in one's own time that this isn't this is just the starting point, not the end point of understanding mm-hmm. scripture. And I think that then allows the priest to preach in a more typological and spiritual fashion in his homilies. 
whereby the literal sense comes to its fulfillment in the spiritual sense mm-hmm. and allows people to experience then the presence of Christ today in a mediated fashion through the church liturgy and scriptures and sacrament. Mm. I like it. <laughs> That is like, a spicy preach. meatball. <laughs> That's a spicy meatball. You know, it's it's, it's all good. Like it, I get yeah, where it's right, coming right. from, and it's like, and it's speaking to a hunger. Like this is the, this is the good thing. There's a hunger. I want to know this. I want to know Jesus this way. Yeah, but it's doing it in a limited. It's like saying. I want to know Jesus just by looking at him, analyzing him, analyzing his his what he said at that point in this ministry, and not actually getting to know the heart. And and so this is, and how do you do all this? So. Ratzinger's center of his Christology is the prayer of Jesus. Who is Jesus? We see in his prayer that he knows that he is the son. And that he's son not in this natural sense of being a human, per- a human being, yeah. uh, uh, like one of us. Yeah. Who experiences through baptism like that we're sons and daughters of God, but that actually there is an intimacy whereby the Father and the Son are on equal terms, and that His whole being is received from the Father, and that this it's in the experience of Jesus's prayer that He knows this, and that that's what the Scriptures kind of allude to. And so, for the Christian, it is entering into Jesus's prayer, seeing things through the through the eyes of Jesus of the Father. Like so, again. Benedict's great phrase, faith, faith is sharing in the vision of Jesus of reality, mm-hmm. right? I see the Father and thus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Son, I see not just God, but my life and reality through that lens. And so I need to enter into Jesus's prayer. And that space is made open through his heart that is pierced, where I enter his heart now. I enter the very, I enter God's heart, whereby I see everything through God's eyes and thus see a deeper reality at play through scripture and all these things. Yeah. I think that's good. This is this is what we need, folks. So it's a little all over the place. A little trinity, a little dogma, a little scripture, a little <laughs> bit of everything. But I think the primary thing to take away is that that this event that happened 2,000 years ago is present and alive in our baptism, in the liturgy, in all sacraments, in scripture, everything of what it means to be a Christian. This event is alive today. And we need to embrace, encounter, and find it. And actually, the, this is one of the central points of the Second Vatican Council, is trying to rediscover the event nature of Christianity, whereby a constant newness is possible without but being rooted in a past leading us to the Father. Mm-hmm. So that's my spiel. Good. Thank you for listening. Uh, please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me paying way too much money on Amazon for that book Father Harrison just mentioned. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Please keep sending in your wonderful theological emergencies at 412-912-7995, 412-912-7995. Once again, thanks to our guest editor, Taylor Schroll. Check out Forte Catholic and all the good stuff he does. Peace. God bless. God bless.